Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 63 of the Leadership Window. Glad you're along. I've been looking forward to today. I always look forward to this guest. This, I think this is his third time on the show. And that is Ron Harvey. Ron heads up his company, which is Global Core Strategies and Consulting. And I don't know that I've asked you, I need to ask you what that means. What does global core strategies mean? So let's, let's uh, we'll do that one first. Uh, but no, Ron is on our advisory board here at the Jinx Perspective and is just all over the place. Uh, a military background, uh, MBA? Yes. Yeah, and li- just lots of stuff. Ron is a an executive coach certified with the John Maxwell organization. He is a trainer, a consultant, a speaker, um, you name it. He's the, he's a, he's a, um, a company saver. He's just like all kinds of great things. Sounds busy. (laughs) More than anything, he's my friend. And I, I love that we have the relationship that we do. I met him when he was speaking at a, uh, an ATD event and just um, knew immediately that we had kindred spirits when it came to leadership and what we were both trying to do for our clients. Ron works a little less in the nonprofit sector than I do, more in the corporate sector and helping businesses grow and thrive. Um, but he does some work with nonprofits, and and I, I want to. There's a particular um, role that you're playing on a nonprofit board that I want to talk with you about too. But um, thanks for coming back into the studio and, and uh, being here and carving out time. Always great to see you, man. Yes. It's, it's an honor to be here, Patrick, you know, to, to come at first, the friendship is probably the, the part that, that brings me back over and over again and then the good content and, and we have a good time with it. So thanks always for bringing me back. So happy to be the, the probably the only person that's done it three times. So I'm going to keep adding that number so they have to catch up. Well, you're, yeah, you're the, you're sort of that regular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know that you're really here for the Mexican food, but that's okay. <laughs> no harm, no foul here. Everybody that knows me knows that's just fine with me to go do that. Uh, what have you been up to lately, man? What are some of the what are some of the new projects that you're working on? Things you're helping your clients with? What's what's shaking? Yeah, I think the one of the, the biggest project that we're doing right now is is just helping one of our our major clients that have a global footprint to help um, minority entrepreneurs get back into retail space um, and help them understand how to not just to start a business but how to really stay in business. And so we're we're really helping these. You know, we built a four week course um, for our client, and it's called Partner to Empower. And it's really about helping minority business owners get back into retail space that may may not have a physical footprint. And so we're teaching them everything from starting their business to understanding profit and loss statements to supply chain to, to managing and leading. So there is about, you know, 35 courses that we built in. And the beauty of this is is helping people that had a dream but didn't have resources. Mm. And so we joined it for that particular reason. And when we asked our client, they weren't just doing another thing just because they felt um, because of everything that was happening in the country. Like, well, let's just do something. Do you Are you really doing this because you want to? And so that's why we partner with them is because it's making a difference and, and closing the wealth gap, which is important to me, you know, for people that otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity um, or the human capital, which means know how to do it. They have a product or a service, but they don't know how to get to market and stay in market. And so we're teaching them how to stay in market. And and as part of what you do, consulting on the, on the getting upfront capital, I mean, the marketing is one thing, but you you know, if you're going to go into business, you got to have some upfront capital, whether that's investors or debt or whatever it is. Is that part of the construct? Yeah, that's a part of it. And and for us, no, um, the company was willing to put the money up front. And where we helped close the gap for them is we wanted to put the educational component. So we wanted to do the human capital. They're doing the financial capital piece of it. We did the human capital. Oh, great. Um, and so we helped merge those together. And then we also came along and say, let's do the social capital as well. Is who do we introduce them to and connect them with? Because we all know that relationships really get things done. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted them to, to be educated and smart and had the acumen to run a business. Then we wanted them to have the relationships to maintain and sustain a business. Then we wanted them to have the money to, to invest in a business. So it was three, a three, three, like 
stool. So I think one of the things that you're doing differently than I am is you've got competencies in both the leadership equation and the business equation. You know, like you're helping people being a business consultant is very different from being a leadership coach, yes. but you're doing both. Yes. What are you, where are you spending more of your time? You think? Um, it's probably 50, 50 right now. Um, when we first come into organizations, there are a lot of people that are in business that do call me and, and quite honestly, Patrick, it wasn't something that I sought out to do. Now I will tell you, if I go back in my, my history, my parents have been entrepreneurs since I was a kid. My parents own four businesses. Mm. Serial entrepreneurs. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, when you, when you think about how much you learn that you don't recognize that you're learning, you know, I, I, I just have the natural DNA to be an entrepreneur. Were and, you in those businesses? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, you know, I worked in the dry cleaners. Um, I helped them with a paper route. You know, I helped them do re repair and remodel furniture. So I was after school. That's where I would go at. And so you begin to learn. You run the cash register and you know how to say, you know, welcome to the store. So I learned more. You know, I, I'll put it this way. I caught more than I was taught. Yeah. I yeah. just watched it and, I, and it sunk in. And so now people do call us because, you know, we've been fortunate where we really built our business from the ground up. But we've learned a lot along the way that we're now putting in place and helping people understand how to stay in business. So I'll ask you a loaded question. When you went through your MBA, w did you lean more toward, oh, yeah, now all this is coming together and I can see now the academic side of it and I wish I'd have known this back then, et cetera. Or did you go into it going, wow, this is not really how business works. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah I, went, I, went in, I went in more of, of understanding academically because I wanted to, to really understand it. And, you know, because there's a thing that we call a shade tree mechanic and I didn't want to be the shade tree business owner. So right. I really want to be able to, in context, put it together. But I still knew a lot of the behind the scenes, behind the curtain. But I wanted to learn the, the right approach. So I think the MBA program helped me, you know, figure out the right approach and the right language. Yeah. And it made me smarter when I'm sitting in rooms. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I, I too went through an MBA program and I found incredible value. And I haven't, I haven't practiced it from the standpoint of running a business that has, you know, like this isn't a manufacturing, yeah. I'm a solopreneur, you know, yeah. which is not really the quite the stuff you learn, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, your bottlenecks of flow and product and service, but a lot of it as it relates to strategy and marketing and leadership and those kinds of things been very helpful. Yeah. I would say for us, it's been super helpful. I mean, you know, our company has doing COVID and with this project, we got, you know, we, we brought 11 people on to manage this project, mm. but we started off as husband and wife team mm -hmm. and, and we were doing everything. You know, so when you talked about the taxes or you talked about the trash or you talked about the products or the presentations, it was us. You know, yeah, our team would get to that. Oh, we are the team. Yeah. And so we we built it up and, and it speaks to leadership because we had to let some of the things go that we enjoyed doing. We were good at doing, but it wasn't the best thing for us to do. Yeah. So we've grown during COVID. You know, we got 11 people running that project for us, which gives us time to say, who else do we go cultivate relationships with and make sure we're at the table and not thinking about how I'm going to deliver something. What's the, what's the biggest thing you've learned about leadership and business because of COVID? Be very flexible. Um, you know, pe people are, nobody had all the answers. We didn't have the answers to how we were going to deliver things. And so just be very flexible and, and collaborate. And so there are times we sit with our clients, um, we call them partners. We didn't have the answer. And we say, hey, here's what we're thinking, but we're not exactly sure if it's going to work the way we think. So it looks good on paper. But once it goes to market, it may not be, it may not turn out this way. And so we've learned to be very transparent and be flexible with our with our, every partner that we have. And and some things didn't go according to plan. And we just we had great relationships, and they can call us directly. So every one of our partners, their CEO has my phone number, and I have their phone number. Yeah, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so it all, everything yeah. comes back to yes. that. Yes, everything is. Um, and I'm using this video. I have a client of ours that that talks about connections, and I always call it relationships. And the word connection is important because there's nothing in the world that, that happens without a connection. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's right. And I, and I did it with our client um, yesterday. I say, just write the word connection down. And every time you think of a connection, put a tick mark by it. And by the end of the three hours, people had 40, 50 tick marks and realized that everything I do is a connection. Mm. Mm. I have been, uh, lamenting as of late about the connection lost throughout this pandemic. And for me, I'd love your thoughts on this. To me, it's a com it's not just the pandemic. Yeah. 
we were headed there anyway. The, I mean, virtual work, we, we, I, I, um, did an episode recently about, uh, the reality. Yes. And, uh, I can't even remember if it's aired yet. I think it's coming up actually, but it's, um, you know, in, in during COVID we had, we had cardboard cutouts at the baseball stadiums. Yes. We had crowd noise piped into the basketball arenas. Absolutely. We had, uh, I mean, it literally, it was, it was fake. We were manufacturing connection. Yes. Zoom. Okay, great. I love the technology. It's amazing. So the fact that we're doing this right now and there's thousands of listeners yes. that get to hear this conversation, like that technology is amazing, right? Absolutely. But I will tell you that having you right here in the student, we're looking each other eye to eye. Yes. We're, you know, like this is a different thing. And I, I, I appreciate all my guests. I can't do them all in person because yeah. they're all over the world, but there's nothing like that physical connection, but we were headed there anyway. We're in the TikTok generation, yes. deep fakes, you know, where you can't believe anything you see on the internet. Have you seen some of these deep fake yes. videos yes. where they, they literally can manufacture, they, they could put out into the world some, you know, big statement by president Biden that yes. he didn't like, you can't trust anything you see. So it's not just connection. It's real connection. Yes. And I, we're losing it. And yeah. my, and from what I'm seeing, I'm, I'm, that's one of my top concerns, I think for, for the leaders that I'm coaching and for the, the sector that we're in. Yeah. I think, I think you're right to, to, that we are losing it. Here's what I have noticed is we're becoming more effective at the, the things that we want to be connected to. We're being more intentional about it. You know, so for, 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 for us here today, you know, a phone call happened. Can you make it to the show? came in, left, came back, and the connection allowed us to, to still make it happen. So those things that matter to us, we're starting to pay more attention mm -hmm. uh, because I think we had, we had put too many people because of social media. We became having a lot of likes and a lot of people following you that you really didn't know, that really didn't know me. I don't really know them, and I'm glad that they're following and they're supporting. But I think we have gotten so far down the line that there were more people following us that didn't really know us. And so we were, we were putting on this image of, of one thing that we're not necessarily. So I think what it did for me, there were people I haven't talked to, you know, during COVID, but there are people that I did not miss, you know, reaching out to during COVID. And the same thing for other people that didn't reach out to me. So I think it began to help me analyze and measure the level of the relationships I need to have with people. Uh, I totally. Are you familiar with the show? I think it's a Netflix show called Black Mirror. Yes. So uh, for those that don't, that might not be familiar with it, it's kind of a dark look at the future or sort of where we're headed. It's kind of like a reflection. The black mirror is this dark reflection of where, what we're becoming yeah. as a society. And so it's this it's science fiction, but you watch some of the episodes about what's going on with technology and what people are able to do with virtual reality and all that. And you go, mm, we're actually not that far away from some of these things. And one of the episodes was about um, instead of a credit score, like you get when you go get a loan, you have this social score and every interaction that these people have, like when they, when they go into a grocery store, if the clerk is nice to them, they got their phones out and they, they rate them. They tap, you know, if they tap 10 times, it's like, this guy was really great. If they, if they tap negative the other way, they're actually affecting someone's social reputation anyone and everyone is all we're all judging each other and your social score keeps you from getting a job or a loan or, or anything like that. We're there. We're there because now, you know, I'm, I'm doing this research on, on the blockchain and, you know, Bitcoin and learning about NFTs. I mean, what the heck is an NFT? Well, come to find out, you know, this non fungible token, it's social clout it to is. a large degree and stuff is going to be bait 10 years from now. You know, uh, I was listening to uh, Gary Vayner, Gary Vayner, Chuck, is that how you say his name? Vaynerchuk. And, uh, you know, he was talking about how what's going to happen with NFTs is going to be like the Internet was. It's this big, ooh, ooh, yes. get in on it, get in on it. And then it's going to die. And then it's going to come back with a vengeance. Yes. Yeah, I think we're already there. When you think about the social, as you say, social capital. I've always said for years that your social capital will get you a lot further than your credit score any day further than your degree will get you in yeah, day. Yeah. I've always believed in that um, because there, there are things because of my, my social presence and how I show up and, and, and what I've dealt with. And so with people and how I, I, I work with people, 
that there are things that, that people are smarter than me, faster than me, have more money than me, struggle at getting. Mm-hmm. I have the social capital, which yeah. there, there are people that, that have all those things and still taking the stairs to get up. I, I've managed to be able to build a social relationship where I can take the elevator. But that's real social that's capital. That's real social capital. I'm talking about the danger of the, the imitation social capital, yes. right? Okay. The, the, yeah. This virtual stuff that is, I mean, it's like you said, you know, we put things out on social media. We want to portray ourselves a certain way. And, you know, but when you really know someone, you're like, eh, I, I know who you really are. Like, yes. you know, yes. I know what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just, I, I, um, I want to just keep saying it. I think that, you know, touch is important. People, need a, people need a hand on their shoulders. Yep. People need eye contact. People need to feel that. So I, my hope is that we don't overdo the virtual's great. You can bring, you can have a state board and have a board meeting or whatever. You can work remotely. I get it, but you got, we've got to at least carve out intentional, physical connection, COVID or no COVID. I mean, I'm, I'm talking, obviously we want to be, you know, there were times when we just needed to do what we needed to do, but I think that a lot of companies have, it's a point of no return now. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I mean, for us, we're human beings and human beings need interaction with human beings. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You look at our kids, like where they're losing that opportunity to be able to, to debate openly and healthy. Mm -hmm. And and that's going to be difficult if you do it over technology, Mm. it's going to be being in a room to have a healthy debate keeping your cool, staying respectful, hearing people out. And on social media, I think people become very, very bold behind technology. Yeah. But in a room, there's some, and they become experts at everything. everything. So, but, and when you got them in person and seeing someone in front of you, it makes you a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more respectful of, of the fact that we're in the same space behind the computer. You send it off and, and you can like shut down after that and never have to respond to anything. They say, you got it out. But when you got to be able to, to sit in the room with that person and have that conversation, like that part of you being real changes who you are. And it's hard to touch someone's heart sometimes on social media. In person, you can make an authentic connection. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see through the superficial oh, yes. pretty quickly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, short break. And when we come back, I'm going to rapid fire some questions at you that have come up recently in some of my coaching engagements in the nonprofit sector. And I want to see where you would go with yes. it. All right. So hang tight, everybody. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. All right, Ron. Um, just, you know, as, as we were preparing this for this, I thought, let me, let me just, let's have a conversation about where Ron might go with some of this. We've done this before offline where I've given you some of the challenges maybe that I'm facing in my coaching. What would your take on this be? So let me, let me give you a few of these. And by the way, so for our listeners, when, when Ron came in, I said, do you want me to give you these questions in advance or do you want to, um, play them off the cuff and, and really challenge you? And he said, man, let's do it in real time. Give me a challenge. So here we go. Um, yesterday was coaching. I had, I had about four coaching calls yesterday and the first two had almost the identical tone at the beginning and one word that was used repeatedly. I'm tired. These are, these are nonprofit CEOs or board chairs or what, you know, they're at this top executive level. And it's just, man, I'm, I'm tired right now. I'm just, I'm tired. You're probably hearing that, seeing that. I mean, maybe it's a function of all that's going on in the world right now, but what would be, what would be a pathway that you would want to explore with that individual to deal with, to have just tired? Yeah, I mean, if the first thing that comes to, to mind for me when that person is tired is to acknowledge with them that they are tired. Mm-hmm. What I would want to explore is is what are some solutions to address how to get to a place where you can recuperate. 
and you can recover. Mm. Because it's no leader, no matter how great you are, the military learned what we call R&R for a reason. Because you get tired. Mm. And you can't go into those fights and into the contact all the time. And nobody can stay in the zone 24-7 without becoming um, a risk to themselves or the people around them. So the first thing I want to mm-hmm. do is figure out where's the rest and recuperation. And so even for a race car driver, you can't run that car 300 laps at 300 miles per hour and expect to win the race. They have a pit stop for a reason. Yeah. And, and so for that leader, I would figure out how do we get them to the pit stop and, and who do they have to make sure they're forced into a pit stop so they can rest, recuperate. And I love the pit stop analogy because we're talking about the superstar champions of yes. racing taking a pit stop is not a failure. It's a necessity. And they take several of them in a race, yes. in a single race. And they're, and they're in the lead when they do it as well. Because, uh, right. yeah, they're pulling in when they're number one and, and mm. they drop back to number five or six or 15. But if they continue to try to run, they they can't run that car. They won't like finish. That. They won't finish. <laughs> so for that leader, I would say, yeah, you're exactly right. And, and because you're trying to run this, this marathon like it's a sprint. Mm. And it's not a sprint. I love it. I love it. And I love that you started with acknowledgement. You know, you don't want to come at this and say, you're tired. Well, why? Yes. Well, you shouldn't be tired. Yes. <laughs> you're getting paid to do this. It's called work. Yes. What do you get over yourself? Yes. Right. No, you don't. You mean, it's not that because people are tired. There's a lot. And I, I don't know about you. I don't know how, how you know, in, in the business sector, but one of the, one of the, I think, unique components of the nonprofit sector, at least in the small to medium nonprofits that I work a lot with capacity is really limited and you're doing multiple things. One of the reasons I have the gifts, talents, and skills I have is because I spent 20 years in the United Way network and you have to kind of learn and do a little bit of everything. You got to be a marketer. You got to be a public speaker. You got to be a a financial manager and manage a budget. You got to be a staff lead. You got to be a grant writer, a program. You got to learn stuff. Yes. So, but with that comes, exhaustion, you know, and and it's tiring. Let me ask you a related one. Segway into that. Individuals in small organizations who are stretched and they feel like their organization or their boss, their CEO keeps stretching them. And it's like, look, I can't, I, you know, I can't do more. I'm at my limit. I've got a bandwidth issue. Yes. Um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind in terms of coaching someone through an individual bandwidth issue where they just feel like too much is being put on their plate and they can't get to it all. And it's not fair to continue to ask for high performance in every area when it's just the support's not there. Yeah. I think, I think the thing that comes to mind for me coaching this individual through is what is the, what is going to be the conversation to lead up to help their leader understand what's, what's capable and what's not capable and have a real authentic conversation with their leader um, because oftentimes when you look at, you know, you look at undercover boss, that is probably the show that teaches me so much about what the leader doesn't see that's having an impact on the results that they really want to achieve. So I would have an authentic conversation about leading up and, and, and when you're leading up, you, you always have to take care of your boss when you're doing it mm. versus challenge your boss. And there's a difference. I, see, I feel like I'm two for two. Because uh, what you're saying to me is affirming to, as I come 100% agree, my coaches have heard me use the term leading up many, many times. Leadership happens in all directions because leadership is influence. Yes. And you're a Maxwell coach. You know that better than anybody. Um, Yeah. And so we forget that we can, we can influence and lead with the right conversations, not the whining and complaining and, you know, but with the right conversations to help our leaders see what it is that maybe they're, they're not seeing. I, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Because I think everybody, everybody has blind spots, but it's, yeah. but it's illegal to, to blindside someone. And, and, and that's in, and so blindsiding causes injuries, causes damage and it hurts. So I don't want to blindside my leader, but mm-hmm. I, I want to help my leader understand or notice some of the blind spots that, that they may have unintentionally because they do exist for all of us. And so no matter how phenomenal that leader may be or how much they think they really know the organization, Sometimes the leader doesn't really get everything it, it, it's going to take to get this true. one thing done. Absolutely. And so I think we need to make our leaders more aware and building that relationship with that leader so you can have this conversation. Hey, I know you you think it's just lead generation, but let me tell you the 10 components or the 10 levers I have to pull for this lead generation. Yeah. So it's not just one lever. And of course, the leader has to have an open attitude of 
look, I've, I've got people around me that are better at what they do than I am. Yes. And that's why I have them here. So I, I need to listen to them as well. Yes. Yes. And I think, I think we could train, I think we could train our leaders to be better listeners. We can model what we're, what we're asking um, them to do. We can model it as well. Mm. And so I think you can, you can train leaders because listening skills have always been around, but we've become more effective at having the conversation about being a better listener because most leaders traditionally are in a position of, I got to get it done. My back is against the wall. My reputation is on the line. I don't have time to listen. Yeah. I challenge leaders. You don't have time not to listen. Well, I've also heard, I don't have time for empathy. Yes. You know, look, I know your plate's full. I know, I, I'm sorry. I know, I know that you have a, sil- a sickness in the family. I'm really sorry about that. That doesn't change this deadline. Yes. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, I think you're right too, Patrick, because you're, you're going to be put in positions that I have to meet this deadline. And I always refer back to, and not to be insensitive about it, but for me serving 21 years in the military, there was nothing more important than saving lives. And if I can still have empathy when bullets are flying, it's, it's easier for me with that background to have empathy when, we, when I miss a deadline. Mm. Because if people are the most important thing that we have, then we still got to remember that even we can't use the, the spreadsheet or the profit loss or something going wrong in the organization if people go wrong, you lose everything. Yeah. Because the system is not going to automatically, as much as we have technology, it still takes people. And so when people go wrong or people will get broken or people lose, lose the ability to deliver, you don't just get to plug and play. So people are not like little widgets. You like just put the next one in, put the next one in. Mm-hmm. You can watch any organization. It's hard to replace the relationship. It's hard to replace the trust. It's hard to replace the dependability. Today more than ever. I mean, people can't even find people can't even find warm bodies, let yes. alone competent, yes. Yes. high caliber. Yeah, exactly. you know? yeah. Yes. So you got to you got to protect what you have. You got to guard it. You got to you got to nurture it. And um, uh, this wasn't on my list, but we talked a little bit about this one before we before we um, launched the actual show uh, around a fear of delegating because you can't afford to fail. This is another one I hear sometimes from my coaches. Like I would delegate more, but some of the stuff that I'm still handling right now that I know I shouldn't be the one handling, but I'm doing it because by God, we're under the gun and I just have to, this has to be done and I can't afford like failure is not an option in this case. And I can't afford to delegate this stuff. My people aren't ready yet or whatever the case might be. And you had a really interesting military uh, analogy or, or parallel to that, that I just thought I definitely want to hear that on the show. Yeah. I mean, when, when it comes to, I can't afford to fail. I always question the, the mindset around what I can't afford to do. I'm, I'm always saying that because failure is a, I haven't met anyone successful that hasn't failed. Like at the end of the day, no matter what it is, you know, if you take, if you take, you know, Albert Einstein. Yeah. Could he really afford to fail or was he willing to take the risk to fail? And so is the leader willing to take the risk knowing that failure is on the other side, but so is success. And so when you say I can't afford to fail, most major products that we all use today fail the first time they implemented. At least. The at first. least once. And, and, and some of them more than that. Look at Babe Ruth as a, as a baseball player. Oh, Thomas Edison, Abraham, yeah. you know, all Abraham Lincoln, all of the, there, the stories, you know, the legends are out there of that, but when you're feeling it on the ground and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not Abraham Lincoln. Okay. I'm not Albert Einstein. I'm, this is on the, this grants due tonight. You understand? Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? That's, yeah. And you, and you think about it, you know, for the, the military analogy is you're exactly right. I can't afford to fail, but I'm still required to do everything with my capability with the opportunities to get it right. And so we've taken many, many risks, sometimes not knowing what the outcome was going to be. We trained right. We prepared right. We supplied right. We resourced right. But we still didn't win. It still didn't go according to what people expected it to be. Is that really failure? So when I say I can't afford to fail, here's the question I would ask myself. Well, can I afford to learn if it doesn't go well? Because if I learn from it, then I didn't fail because I'm going to improve it and put it back in the market and try it again. And the unique thing about that is every time that, that we made a mistake or I made a mistake as a leader in the military, I can remember, you know, I was in South Florida and, and a massive hurricane came 
hit, destroyed, very destructive. And we had to make decisions that my career was on the line. My personal career was on the line at 16 years in. And I had to make a decision in 30 seconds that would determine whether I spend the next four years getting to my retirement. My boss wasn't happy with the decision. I wasn't very comfortable with the decision, but I knew it was the, the most effective, rational decision to make at that moment. And I made it. Did I take some, some heat for it? Did I get some conversations I probably desired not to have? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it worked by me taking a risk. In my boss eyes, it was a complete failure initially until the results showed up and say, that was a really good decision. And I know I didn't tell you that at the beginning because I didn't believe it was going to work. Mm. So what I had to show up is even if you don't believe in me, I need you to know I believe in me and you just need to believe that. There are no greater stakes among the, the work that we're doing in the nonprofit sector than life or death. No greater stakes. And, and, but I'm saying that in a military construct, when, when you're on the battle, it's, it's life or death every day, but you still have to delegate. You still that, have that's to what delegate. you were telling me before. Yeah. Talk, talk more about that. Yeah. You don't get, a, you don't get an option. The military does not give you an option not to delegate. Even at the cost of life. It's just part of the construct. It's a part of, of how we sustain the, the war fighter. At the end of the day, you know, you look at all of our leaders that are, that are running countries or you look at all leaders that are running these organizations, they're still required, even with their career on the line, their appraisal on the line, them getting the bad report card, have to delegate to the person that's on the ground. And they have to totally trust. And that's the key word that shows up is, is what's your level of trust? Not, not level of confidence, confidence that it's going to be done exactly like you wish for it to do and, and that it may go well. What's your level of trust to give that person mm -hmm. the space to try it? Yeah. I can remember us going into, you know, um, a particular location and our leader looked us in the face and say, I'm going to promise you two things that I'm going to get you in. I'm going to get you out. Everything is subject to what happens when we're there. Hmm. I don't, I can't guarantee you what's going to happen. We train for it. We prepared for it, but it may not go exactly as planned. And when it doesn't, I still need you to be loyal to doing it. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's trust. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, that's a level of trust. You said you used a phrase uh, a second ago, sp uh, space to try. Got to yes. give people space to try. What a great phrase. I'd like people to pause on that one a second, because I, one of the things I ask my coaches a lot is how did you learn? How did you learn what you know? Yeah. Who gave you a chance? Did, did you at some point get to try what you're doing or you just, you grew up and you became a CEO? Like, Somebody gave you that opportunity. And if a leader's job in part, at least in part is to develop other people and better than that, other leaders, they got to have the same chance that you had to get where you're going. So at some point you have to give them the space. You know, it's amazing when you look at leaders, Patrick, I wish every CEO that's listened to us, every leader that's listened to us, every parent or someone that's, that someone is watching that's made it in your own eyes have made it. You and I, I would love for you to take the video when you were 24, 20 years before today. I don't want to see that one. <laughs> and show that to your kid and say, look, I, matter of fact, I want to, I want to help you here. Just so you know, you have an opportunity to, to achieve whatever you want in life. I want, I don't want you to look at the run that you see today. Cause that film has been cleaned up. I mm. want you to go back when I was 24 and you'll have more hope than you ever had in your life. Because you're like, if you made it looking like this, I know I got a chance to make it. Yeah. I think people look at where we are today versus where we were and what we had to really be totally com committed to doing to get to this other place. Mm. So it's not where I am today. It's what did I do to be who you see today? Yeah. Cause I wasn't that at 24. Yeah. No, oh, no boy. I, like I said, I don't want to even <laughs> see that film of my 20 and my age 24 um, or 34 or 44. But someone gave us probably. a chance. Think about it. Who, who gave us a oh, chance? Well, a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people gave us the chance and, and, you know, I, I had a pastor one time, he, the phrase he used was, we want to create an environment where people's gifts and talents make room for themselves. Yep. And I just, I, there was something about that phraseology I really liked yes. that the gifts and the talents make room for themselves, but the, the culture has to like be open to that yes. in order for that to happen. Yes. And people in our organizations have a lot of gifts and talents that never get played because we squelch them. Absolutely. We, we really bring people in organization and you and I both work in, in, in the spaces of whether it's nonprofit or for profit. We, you know, we, we collaborate and have conversations. 
the thing that's consistent, whether profit or nonprofit, we hire the best talent and tell them to be quiet. Mm, yeah. Because, because our level of, of not being comfortable with that, who they are. And, and that absolutely walks in organizations. I said, when's the time, last time that you've really walked into the room as a leader and, and tell people, I need you to help me be better and give them the, the, the space to help you be better. Yeah. And, and lead with, what are your thoughts on this? Yes. You know, where do you think we should go from here? How do we solve this? Yes. You know, what do I need to do better to support what you're doing? You know, those kinds of questions. All right, let me get to a few more. Yes. I know you're hungry and you want some enchiladas. Um, I have a staff person or staff people who are adequate, but I'm really frustrated because I know they have much more potential than what I'm getting from them. And I'm just locked. I can't get anywhere with else with them. They, they, they kind of do the, they, they, they meet the, the expectation. Yes. But there's more that, that they could do if they were, if they were motivated and if they, if they really like, how do I get them there? How do I, how do I motivate them to get, to get to that higher place? Awesome. And so for me, for this leader, a lot of things that come up and these come up, these are real coaching questions. These, these are things I see as well. And so when I'm talking to that leader, I say, what is it that you're noticing that you think they can do? Good question. Yeah. That, that, like, because what I'm noticing, I think they can do doesn't mean it's accurate. It's just what I'm processing. Then so for that leader, once I go from there, what have you done to allow them to understand the bigger purpose of what they're doing? Mm-hmm. Because if people can connect to the purpose, you don't have to motivate them. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, keep going. I'm not going to yeah. interject so, here. I, so so the, the reality is, am I, am I as a leader giving them a reason to want to do it that connects with who they are? Because what happens is there's a sweet spot for it. There's a reason I want to do something and the reason the organization wants us to do something. So I went in the military for me personally. I wanted to, to get more college money. My parents didn't have any college money. I was the last of 12 children. So there was no college money left. But I wanted to get more college money and I wanted to travel and see the world. That's what I went in for. The military brought me in because they wanted me to be able to, to protect, defend the Constitution of the United States and travel and do what I was supposed to do when I needed it. And so... I can meet their need and they can meet my need and there's a sweet spot. Now I never signed up to go to combat, but that was a part of it. So when it was time to go to combat, I didn't fuss, fight and kick and scream and say, I'm not going because there was a sweet spot of this is what I got to do to meet this thing that I want to get done. And they needed me as well. So I think all leaders got to understand where's the sweet spot where it overlaps and it's not conflict. That is rich. A number of years ago, I heard somebody make a statement that made me just like really get, it got, it got, it got to me. They said, leaders don't motivate people. They don't. And at the time I was like, yeah, you, the, who is this person that I'm listening to right now? What an idiot. Of course, leaders motivate people. That's what they do all the time. It's what motivational speakers and leaders. And and I'm, I've learned he was absolutely right. Leaders do not motivate people. We're intrinsically motivated. Yes. Motivation comes from within. It's not put on you or in you by somebody else. And so what a leader is actually doing, what you're describing, it feels like a leader is motivating someone, but all they're really doing is connecting someone's existing motivations with the work that needs to be done. If I can make that connection, these people will be unstoppable. They'll lie down in traffic for you, right? It's like uh, Dwight Eisenhower's definition of leadership. I know you've you've heard this, right? The art of getting people to do things you want done because they want to do it. Yes, and that is the, the, that's one of the, I think one of the biggest eye openers for a lot of the leaders I coach is that, you know, they'll ask me, how do I motivate somebody? To, and I tell them, you don't, you, you don't. can't. Well, I mean, you said a word, Patrick, that you and I were talking about, you know, doing before we came on the show. You can't motivate, you, 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 you can't motivate what you can't connect to. Mm-hmm. The connection is where it's at. Yeah. And so for, for people that are leading it's almost impossible until you connect to my heart, my values, my purpose to get me to go in a direction that I want to go in to support what you're trying to get done. And so the, the reality of it is for leaders to truly understand your team, not, not your mission and, and not your goals and not your spreadsheet and your bottom line, that'll take place. But to truly understand the human being that's going to get this stuff done and what they value and why they do what they do for you, then you'll be amazed of what they'll do without you ever asking. So I would tell this leader, are you really connected? Because it sounds as though this leader's dropped a signal. 
uh, man, uh, yeah, music to my ears. And I think that I think what the disconnect for the leader is they're managing, yes, rather than leading. And you know, it's like Drucker's Drucker says, you manage things, you yes. lead people. Yes, it's like you said earlier. Without the people, everything falls apart. So it, you've got to you've got to make the connections, and the leader has to be the one to help those people make those connections. Yes. They're the they're the path shapers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you from here to here using your motivations, your yes. gifts, your talents. Yes. Yeah. And and, being, and 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 the reality is, is, is you should never ask for anyone's hand until you touch their heart. Mm. It's, it's just because the heart drives everything. If I can change someone's heart, I can, I can literally get them to do more things. But if I can't touch their heart and, and get them to them from an emotional place that they care about it, Cause that's where the motivation is coming from. What right. do I care about? Right. Right. And if I care about it, I'll do it. It's like getting your kid to do homework. Yeah. If they care about their grades it has nothing to do with what I'm going to motivate them. Now I can intimidate and threaten. I got to stay there 24 seven because the minute you walk out, so does motivation and intimidation. But if I can get them to care about what they care about and pay attention to that. You no, know, we have a, we have a, a eighth grader, rising ninth grader. I don't have to come in and, and, and threaten her to do work. I figured out what's important to her dad. I want to do this. And I'm going to do that. How do I help you? What do you need from me? What are your resources? What don't you have? What do you have answers? For? No questions that you don't have answers. What is it that's the gap for you? And what do I assist you? And I, and I deliver that. So it's not even about me telling her what to do. I'm still getting the same result, but I'm using what she's talking about versus what I'm talking about. So I'll tell you a question that I asked one of, one of my people recently who shared a similar challenge to this, right? It's getting my people, they, they meet the expectation, but they just don't go beyond and I know they can my question for them is why is the expectation as low as it is then? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, why not raise the expectation if you know it's there and they're going to meet the, because I, I believe people will rise to the level of the expectation. Absolutely. And if they know this is all that's expected, that might be all you get. Yes. Yeah. I think people, people will, if it depends on the individual and their, yeah, their motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And right. their motivation. And some people will, will want to be competitive and then there'll be some people that's okay with me- mediocre. Mm hmm which means you'll have to raise the bar. So then they'll right. achieve. So you raise the bar to 120 when you really want 100. Yeah. And you'll still get it as, as someone say, you know, shoot, shoot for the stars, you know, and, and you'll land somewhere in a successful place. Yeah, that's right. If, if I lay out a hundred and you give me a hundred, great. If I lay out 120 yes. and you give me 110, is that a failure or is that a success? That's a success. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think you do. You, you're absolutely right. And so there's, as Patrick and I are talking, there are so many ways to do it. What I would, Caution most leaders, don't box yourself into the way you've always done it. Get frustrated with what you're seeing in front of you without understanding what's taking place because there's always something behind the curtain. And oftentimes what we do is try to do the same thing with with different people and expect it to work. And I will tell you that there's not one strategy that works with every person every single time. It doesn't even work with the same person every single time. So I will tell every leader, be creative to do something different with the same person 10 minutes later. Because we change. Um, and, and, and the best way to explain is it's almost like a boxer. You know, Mike Tyson, I'll use him. Mike Tyson studied film and every person he was going to defend himself against fought differently to him. So he trained different for them. He responded different to them mm-hmm. because he couldn't use the same skill set with a yeah. different boxer. Yeah, that's football teams do that all the time. All they the watch time. film because the, the next game is coming up and every defense is going to be different and offensive attacks and all that. Yeah, that's right. And, and the people that we lead require a different talent from us every single time. Um, I asked a leader uh, recently who was, you know, d- discussing a staff member with me. I said, how, how long have they been there? Yeah. And they said, you know, seven years. I said, okay, so they have, do that. So they have seven years in this role. Yeah. I said, okay. So here's my question. Do they have seven years of experience or do they have one year of experience that they've repeated seven times? And because if, the, if that expectation of the leader doesn't change, if you're not nudging them to that next place and pushing them beyond, you know, what is it? Life begins yes. at the uh, life begins at the end of your comfort yes. zone. Um, then then they're just living the same, you know, they're, they're, you're getting, you're getting this robot that has understood what they learned in their first year. And they're just repeating it. That's not seven years of experience. Well, think, think about it from a, a, a board standpoint. Both of the, both of us um, do board work. 
when you think of someone that's attended board meetings and they kind of sat along the wall or they sat at a table, they never really engaged. They, they were just there. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they're in a leadership role. Do they really know how to run the meeting? And I say that, think about your young people that you teach how to drive. That kid from, from the age of probably five to, to 14, all right, they're in your car for at least nine to 10 years, like observing you driving. Most of us wouldn't give them the keys to our cars. Like when they get their, their learner's permit or they get their actual license, we're still going to be a little apprehensive about giving this kid the keys that, oh, by the way, has been with us for seven years. <laughs> I've watched yeah. Dutch drive this car and put it in drive and put it on the seatbelt and, and some bad habits too because you taught them some bad habits. All of y'all weren't good drivers and your kids picked those up too. So if we won't take and give that, because they observe, don't mean they learn. And if they've been there for seven years, observation doesn't necessarily mean that they actually embedded the data. Well, and deeper, even deeper is back to your original, the back to relationship. This person that's sitting on the, on the edge of the wall in the board meetings, not only are they not experienced now in leading a meeting, but when they decide to speak up, you know, everyone looks at them and go, who is, who is this? Yes. (laughs) who who is this? I got, you know, and so you're, you're not even building the kind of credibility and legitimacy because you're not being put out there. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the social capital. I mean, when you think about like, who, who is it that you can advocate for, you could sponsor, you could speak up for that you can train, you can put them at the table because it's unfair to put, if this person has been there for seven years, I guess the question I would ask this leader, what are you, what are your expectations of them? Yeah. Awesome. What have you done to ensure that they're comfortable and know it? Not what you're assuming they know it, but have you seen them do it? Have you given them opportunity to try it under your watch and, and you mentor and develop them so they feel totally, because competence come, confidence comes with competence. Mm-hmm. And if, if I don't really feel like I can do it, I'm not going to tell my boss I don't, I don't think I got it. Right. I'm going to fake it till I make it because it depends on my boss. So my question to this leader is, have you really taken the time to ensure this person has it and they can do it in their sleep? That's good because there's a disconnect somewhere and I'm not sure what it is. So I would tell you to be what I call very curious of what's the holdback for this person. Cause who wants to wake up and not reach their potential? Like, like, like really who doesn't want to, I mean, you just finished, you know, your PhD. It's always been there. You knew you could do it. You knew it was going to be a challenge, but you, you've always had it. Something kept you going and said, I can do this and I want to do it. So who wants to wake up and not achieve what their dream is? That's right. And so my question is, when I'm working with people that's on my team, I ask everybody that we hire, what do you want out of this company? It's good. It's good. Back to their, back to their motivation. Yeah. What is it? What is it that, that, and I, I don't ask that one question when they first come on for onboarding. I ask them every week. Hey, I know you did this. I know you, you were in this meeting. I know you were in this training. Did, did you get what you needed out of it? Yeah. What, what did you learn that's useful? Mm-hmm. And I ask that every week. Of that's great. On our that's team. great. That's great. I got one more for you. Yes. I am the CEO of a small nonprofit. We have a, we have a staff of four people, including me, right? Yes. My board keeps asking me for a succession plan because they're concerned that, you know, in a few years I'm going to be retiring or what happens if I win the lottery and move away. And what do they mean? I don't succession plan. None of the three people that work for me are suited for this role. And I know they won't be. So what do they mean by that? How do you help leaders in that role prepare for their own departures? Yeah. I mean, and it, and it happens a lot. It's a question that comes up in every organization. Um, we have several clients that we're, we're helping them figure out what do they owe the organization after they're gone. And, and when I pose that question, I say, what do you think you owe this organization when you leave? And I, and I will, I'll refer back to change of leadership should be a non-event. It should be, Hey, thank you for serving. Thank you for doing your job. Thank you for the two years. Thank you for all your phenomenal service here, your trophies, your plaques, and all the great things. We really appreciate it. And you show them that appreciation. But tomorrow morning, that new leader that we're going to need, everything that we've done shouldn't walk out the door with that previous leader. There should be someone else that has everything that you left that's still here. So change of leadership should be a non-event. So when I'm helping those leaders, I say, how do we make sure that it's a non-event, that because you're not here, this organization stops breathing? That's what you owe us. Yeah, it's good. I have often, so I get asked from time to time, you know, do you do, do you help with succession planning? 
My answer is yes, but only at the bigger level, the higher level, which means, and I don't mean the CEO level. I mean, we got to take succession up a notch. Why are boards only concerned about what happens when the CEO goes away? Because if, and boards think that the CEO is, is the glue that keeps the organization together. And that's what they, right. that's what they hold accountable. That's, that's, what they, that's, who, that, that's who reports to them. That's what they see. But yes. my, my question to them is why is that the only, so the, you, you want, they want that continuity that you're talking about. Yes. They want that seamless transition. But what they often haven't thought of is the CEO transition. That's just one possible thing that can impact the continuity of your organization. Absolutely data loss, building destruction, your resource development director yes. leaves, your board chair gets transferred to a hospital in Illinois um, to run the uh, thing there and you're without a board chair. A grant you counted on has come back and said that million dollars, it won't happen next year. We had to change, you know, there are lots of things that can affect the continuity of your organization, including bench depth all the way through the organization. It's not just the CEO. So what I tell people is, yes, I can help you with succession planning. If succession is only one of the pieces that you really want to consider, you really need to be thinking about continuity, which means continue. Yes. Just what you just said. This should be a non-event. Things just continue. They don't stop for three months. Hey, hold on, everyone. We got to get a, we got to get our new CEO seated. Yes. You got to keep moving. Yeah. And I think that's the part for, for, to answer that question, you're exactly right, Patrick. I mean, business continuity is just as important as the CEO's position, along with managing your risk in your organization. All that is a part of, of your succession planning. You know, if it if this like COVID, you found out so many people. Oh, yeah. were, it, it gave us a real example of the world coming to a stop. Everybody leave. Everybody go home. Nobody can come in office. Okay, what do we do now? That that was that was like. Now there's there Applebee's has figured out during COVID, we're going to be the first in Columbia, the first city that Applebee's is going to have a drive-through because they made fifty percent of their profit. From drive through and they've realized and uncovered something that they would have never uncovered had it not been for this. Yep. Because here's what I see. People always, you know, for, for, I look at an issue as an opportunity. Yeah. What's the opportunity to embed it into this thing that we see as problems. That's right. And if you can do that and you ought to look across your whole organization and say, where are the, what could, what can go wrong? And what the CEO leaving is just one. We can put another CEO in. But all the other things dealing with business continuity for us to continue is more than about the CEO. That's right. So I think you're spot on is, is helping people understand the business continuity. What can bring your organization to a screeching halt and take you to your knees? And you didn't see it coming or you did, but you ignored it. Yeah, right. Well, I, I think, you know, we mentioned what we've learned during COVID. One of the things that I've found is, well, of course, we learned that we can we don't always need the, all the physical space we thought we did. Yes. I know nonprofits that they got out of, they don't have an office anymore. They said, yes. well, we could save $2,000 a month in lease. Yes. We learned through COVID. We don't actually need it. Yep. Had other organizations realize how much you actually can accomplish and how fast you really can move. Yes. Boy, I mean, speed in the nonprofit sector is extremely, Painful. <laughs> it is painful to watch nonprofits try to move and change the needles and it's slow. It's bureaucracies of boards and you got to get a consensus of the community and we got to study it and we got to get a consultant. We got to plan. We got to have committee meetings yes. and I get it. You got to bring people along and there's a pace, but it is slow until COVID happens and boy, did organizations move fast. Absolutely. Is suddenly we don't have to wait for the third quarter board meeting to make a decision about our budget. Do we, yes. you know, suddenly we, you know, trust, trust had to jump. Like we can't afford not to trust. We yes. actually have to jump out there and trust yes. now. Cause we gotta, we have clients that are counting on us. We have a nonprofit mission. We have people's livelihoods and paychecks. We learned how we can, we can move fast when we want to. Yeah, and I think a lot of it came from people's ego. Like at the end of the day, people want to be in control, make the final decision, mm. slow it down because they can slow it down. Mm. And and I think that's unfair to organizations because you can wow. don't mean you should. Wow. You know, so if, oftentimes things got slowed down because of people, not because, the, you know, you think of like us as a small business owner. It's amazing that companies will say, hey, send us, send us your, your invoice. And they have this 30-day window, net due 30 days. And it'll sit on someone's desk for 20 days until it meets this day of payment. Yep. And small businesses are struggling across the entire country. Why would you not pay it sooner? 
just because the system said don't do it. And you're sitting there for two or three hours sometimes throughout the day and you can get it paid, but you wait till that day up. And and what I call it is, unfortunately, because the longer you keep it in your account, the more interest you make off of it before you move it out to me in 20 days or 30 days. So the question is, why some of the decisions that we make, COVID has shown us, how do we become better every single time? Good. Yeah. With or without a pandemic. With, yeah. With or without a pandemic. Because the next thing that comes our way might not be a pandemic. It's going to no. be something else. It's, you know, the market or the, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Well, think about it. I mean, you look at for us as, as, as building, even though the pandemic has happened, the housing market has boomed. Mm-hmm. People are building like crazy. You look at, you know, this great resignation. When we thought we couldn't do certain things for employees, we're figuring out we can do a lot more than we said we could do. We just chose <laughs> oh, not to do it. Yeah. So employees are looking like, oh, you could have done this all the time. Yeah, interesting. Like I could have worked, you know, I got, I know national security agencies where people are working from home that would have never been heard of. I read some research recently, New York Times or Wall Street Journal. I can't remember which one. Uh, or maybe it was hard. Anyway, it was a, like a, a, it was a big, some big publication. It was the research around, you know, we've been talking about working remote yes. for the last two years and how, you know, companies are never going back now. Remote is the thing. Uh, but this research said that employees actually care more about schedule flexibility than they do about working remotely. Absolutely. So it's more about, are you flexible with me? Not do I work at an office or do I work at home? It's more about yeah. the flexibility. Yeah, I think absolutely. Because you figure the, the traditional work schedule of what used to be traditional, everybody knew it. Get up early in the morning, get yep. in at eight o'clock, take your lunch break at 1130, have a half an hour, an hour, come back in, you're there at 435 o'clock. And, and what I found out is for our team in our own organization, we have core hours. And I learned this from a government agency. We have core hours. So core hours tend to two. Mm-hmm. Everybody that if you're going to schedule a major meeting, 10 to 2. If you're going to need everybody, 10 to 2. Anything before 10, anything after 2, you can't impose on other people that they have to make it. The core hours were 10 to 2. So what we figured out is everything that was a number one priority, 10 to 2 is it. That's when you have to be in the building. You have to be available. You have to be accessible because we're going to make all major decisions in that time frame. Hmm. All the other stuff we made it available to how do we flex our schedule and the CEO would change his schedule. Hey, 10 to two, I got this meeting at, at, at three and we, you know, can we move it to three? And the CEO said, absolutely. We can move it to three because it's outside of the core hours. So what it did give, if you got to take your child to the doctor, do it before 10 or after two, if you got to go do something with your spouse, do it before 10 or after two, but 10 to two were the core. That's hours. quite a bit of flexibility. It's I a mean, lot of you flexibility. Know, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Two, two more questions. Yes. Two more questions. Well, this, this, um, this one right here, I, I wanted to tag on to that succession question is I happen to know that you're, um, you have some experience, recent experience working on, um, a search committee for a nonprofit yes. looking for, looking for a new CEO as part of that succession. Yes. I'd like to know from you, what's your perspective on, and, and, you know, try to, try to put the nonprofit lens on if you can, although leadership is leadership. So this may apply to everybody, but to 2022, yes, the world we're in today, what are we most looking for in a CEO? What, What are the most important things that a search committee and a board really need to keep in mind and again, you know, yes. you can think through the yep. lens of the nonprofit that, that, that you're working with, but what's, what, what are the, what are those top things that we're looking for? What's important as we look for a CEO? Yeah, there are a couple of things that, that showed up, um, of what we're looking for. And I think this in, in regardless of the nonprofit is for the CEO to have a connection to what we believe in, what, what, whatever that thing is and every nonprofit exists for a particular, a specific reason. Sure. Is there an authentic connection that this person is doing it because it's what they care about? Mm-hmm. Like I, I served in the military for 21 years because I, I cared about doing something bigger than me, making a difference for people that that were unfortunate, couldn't do certain things. And then to get my education was was one of the components. But I always wanted to serve. And so, we, you know, if you're looking at the, the nonprofit space and you're looking for a CEO is what do they really care about? And is there an authentic connection there? It's good. You know, so when you get past that is. The the, sec, the the other thing that came about for for the when you're looking at for the nonprofit or you're looking for any leadership that will do nonprofit is is do they have the ability to show they care for the people that's going to do the hard work? 
because everybody's going to feed off of that CEO. And if that CEO can show they care about the people that's doing it, because there's a lot of thankless things that people do in nonprofits that just doesn't get shown appreciation, doesn't get the kudos, doesn't get the pat on the back, but they're working really, really hard. And so you're going to want a leader that can do that without being prompted or feeling like, you know, I've had leaders say, well, I don't want to have to go pat everybody on the back. I don't want to have to kiss anybody's, but I don't want to have to keep telling people thank you all the time. I said, well, if, if you don't, who will? <laughs> like, yeah. like what's, what's your real function other than the numbers that you're going to get briefed on? Because, yeah, you're going to have to brief these numbers, but what's your real role? So for, for when you're looking at someone that's going to be in a leadership role, regardless of, for me, my definition for leadership will probably resonate in this space. It's serving those that, that depend on you the most when they need you the most. Yeah, I remember that. So for, for me, when I'm looking at this, I say, how does this person show up as a servant in this nonprofit? Because that's truly what it is. Mm-hmm. Do they have a heart for serving? Do they have a heart for taking care of people? Do they, heart, do they have the ability to fundraise because it's a nonprofit? That, that was huge for us. Technically, sure. yeah. that came up, you know, the technical skills. But the human side, the human, the human capital was huge for us when they're coming into the organization. And then we went to the social capital and I, and I literally sit there and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm leading this, this thing for this organization. I said, there are three things that's going to be important for me. Human capital. What do they bring into the table to make this organization better than it was yesterday? Go through everything that they, they bring and help them to explain and articulate it because I don't want to hire the person that we have. I want to hire the person that's going to make it better than the one we have. Yeah. And that was important is how does this person make us better? Because I don't want more of the same. Right. So that was huge for us is we don't want more of the same. What, what do we want? And so that was huge for us as we move forward. So when you start thinking of like looking at your organization, even mine, I mean, I'm a for-profit organization. I'm hiring people that do things better than me. Absolutely. I don't even attend some of the meetings and I'll, they'll call me, hey, Mr. Harvey, do you want, do you want to brief this or do you want to brief this? I say, am I the best person to brief it? I literally asked my team that. I didn't ask you if, if I'm the, a good person to brief it. It was a different question. I say, am I the best person to brief it? Well, not really. I think so and so and so and so. I say, well, don't put me in the briefing slot. Yeah. And I don't know if we give people that space because sometimes we think because we have the title that we're the best to always do it. I don't feel that way in my company. I think that goes back to the delegation thing too. I often encourage leaders to delegate the things that they're good at and that they like to do. Yeah. It's easy to delegate things we don't want <laughs> yes. on our plates. <laughs> Well, what about the things we don't want to let go of? Not because we don't trust someone else to do them, but because we like doing them. Yes. I, one of the best things I had a, a CEO at a, um, the first United Way that I worked for, and he he would miss a board meeting every once in a while, maybe one or two a year. And I kind of felt like it was on purpose, but you know, he would he, whatever the reason was, he didn't cancel the board meeting. He said, Patrick, fill in for me. I've done it. And, and so this is back to your, you know, person on the wall at a board meeting. I, I had a mentor that understood that concept and full confidence, you know, and, and that making, making that space. I think a leader's role, Patrick, is, is to do for people what they can't do for themselves. Because your leader not showing up at that meeting, you couldn't have done that for yourself. He put you in a position to gain some experience to get some visibility and accessibility. Something that, you know, are you opening the door for other people? Are you opening up the conversation for other people? Are you helping people get access to things that they wouldn't get? And, and, and the leader should be able to say, what have I done for someone today? Had it, had, had it not been for me, it wouldn't happen for them. Serving. Yeah. Connecting. Relationship, yeah. people. Yeah. It all keeps coming back to the same three words, yeah. doesn't it, Ron? And I do it all the time. And I think that's where, where for me, if people ask me what makes a difference for me in Columbia, is I don't just say it, I do it. Yeah. I'm always asking, hey, who you need to, who you need to talk yeah. to that you, yeah. you haven't, you're having trouble getting to? What do you, what do you want to learn that you don't know? Ask me what that question is. And I tell people that call me all the time and, and I get a lot of phone calls and, and I, I always ask, don't ever let me become so successful that I don't have, I don't give people access to me that, that I needed access to to be successful. So when they call me with those calls, I say, hey, I'm a, I'm, I only have one request. And they say, what is that, Mr. Harvey? Only ask me the questions that you can't ask anybody else. I said, if you can ask someone else that question, 
then ask that person and save the top three for the ones only I can answer. Because otherwise you'll be misusing your time. Man, that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Uh, my last question. Help me understand Global Core Consulting. Where did that name come from? Tell me what that means. <laughs> yes. that I was sitting around and I was trying to think of, of what it is that we were going to stand for. And I had a vision of just being a global company. I wanted to do more than just be local. I, I wanted to do more than just be in South Carolina. Um, I, I wanted to have an impact in more than just the places that I see locally every day. So I always wanted to, you know, in somewhere in my spirit, I always wanted to, to travel and see the world and do things in different parts of the world. So the global part came from, I always had a vision. We we're going to be bigger than the place we lived. That was, that was the way mm -hmm. that was. Um, and so when I got past there, the word core came out of the real piece of human beings, the core of who people are. How do we change that? Mm -hmm. How do we help people drill down to the real thing that makes them better? Versus all the other things that show up on paper. So the core is all about the person. That's where we always focus on the person. So core is like, who are you for real? And how are you showing up? I'm glad I asked because I wouldn't have gotten that from the name. Yes. Because it, it, it doesn't say core leaders yes. or the core of leaders. Yes. It's just core strategies. And so if I think core strategies, I'm thinking like the high priority strategies. Yes. I'm glad I asked because there's a deeper purpose behind that name yes. than that. And, and, and it, and it, and it's, it's what motivates me. Like if anybody really knows me personally, know I care about helping people get better. Yeah. If the company gets better, that's fine. But I, I, I tell people, I say your company can't get better. if The yep. people don't get better. Ron, you really are. You, you, you do put actions behind your words. Um, I mean, all, all these things about connectivity and relation. I mean, I've experienced it with you and I've watched you do it and you do it, you do it with me. It's part of why, why our friendship is what it is. We are both coaches and um, you do more consulting than I do, but we both do some coaching as well. And, you know, it's a powerful, powerful mechanism. Modeling is 10 times more powerful. Yes. I mean, coaching and saying it is one thing. Yes. Modeling it is where the real power comes in. Yes. Your video. Yeah, that's right. Hey, uh, give people the website. Yes. www.gcs.consulting. Um, that's www.gcs.consulting, C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Are you working on another book yet? Yes. Actually, Patrick, thank you for asking. I'm working on another book that will come out this summer, and it's called Turning Point Leadership, Moving from Success to Significance. Wow. I can't wait for that one. When's it? Do you have a date? You have yeah, a it'll, it'll be out. It'll actually be released probably before the summer um, because I'm doing a keynote speaker. I want it to be ready for that. But my deadline is to have it done by spring break in South Carolina. So it'll be April the 17th. I'll have it done. Okay. You going to do pre-orders? Yes. Okay. Yes. Let me, let me know and I'll put it up on the page and we'll put, we'll put the uh, web address on the page too. And the other book is make a difference. Make a difference. It's just make a difference. Just make a difference. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is great. And, yeah. and a, and a quick read. Yes. We talked about that. It's a quick read, but boy, powerful pause on every page. Yes. Ron, thanks man. Appreciate thanks, you lead on folks. Yeah.